welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. When I think of our uh, next speaker, I, I met him some months ago, and, and I think of what, a, what an incredible inspiration of some of my most difficult, toughest times, and my times of most crazy acting out in my disease before sobriety, was when I traveled and and in uh, and in unknown places, I was uh, kind of unknown. I could isolate and be uh, nobody knew who I was, so I could come and go freely from the places that you know we all know about. And and uh, and it strikes me that uh, that uh, Mike uh, is an incredible inspiration in in uh, gaining sobriety and uh, in the life that he lives. Uh, Behind the wheel of a big rig and, and in places around the country all the time traveling and, and yet stays in touch with us and the fellowship and, uh, and I'm in, I'm certainly inspired by that and, uh, I want to introduce, uh, Mike Kay, Glendale, Oregon. Thank you. My name's Mike. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Mike. And, uh, I wish I was in that truck right now. <laughs> Uh, boy, I saw the deal here, and Scott and Tom, and uh, there's a couple of bright guys, and how am I going to fit in here, you know, and uh, discovering the principles, uh, I've never been one to read much, or uh, I have a hard time expressing myself writing, and I thought, I'm going to have to do some study here, you know, so first thing I did, I got my dictionary out and looked up the word principle, and uh, I knew I was in trouble because it didn't help me. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, I got the pamphlet Mary had there, and I got more confused. So I was driving in my truck, and uh, I just listened to a lot of radio on the truck, you know, to keep out of my head, and uh, I'm not a religious person. Uh, I found a higher... I've been in 12-step programs for 18 years. And uh, it probably doesn't show, but you think I know the, how, what principle meant. But uh, there went the train of thought. Anyway, I was listening to this program, and uh, Mel Gibson told the story of David and Goliath. And uh, that isn't it either. Geez, anyway, it's about the sheep herder that faces this big guy, and. Uh, they were going to put him armor on him and give him a spear. And, and he said, no, I'm a sheep herder. I'm just going to take my staff and wear my sheep herder's clothing. And the light went off, you know. And I thought, I don't have to study on this. Uh, and then I realized that to me, principles means the teachings of the program. And I've learned a lot in the last year. And so I'm just going to tell you what I've learned. Uh, I came into this program in 1987. And uh, you all met my charming wife last night. And uh, what she didn't tell you was, when I came in off the road uh, 
that day. She gave me the phone number <laughs> and uh, that she got from uh, SA in L.A. And I called that number because we had both known there was something wrong with me. Uh, I didn't know what it was. You know, I knew I had, it was like runaway hormones. That's how I described it. I knew I was a bad person. Uh, I had never been able to be faithful in my marriage. Uh, since before kindergarten, I had been acting out sexually. Uh, and I, it wasn't in a healthy way. You know, it was with animals and things like that. So I, I grew up thinking I was real strange. And, uh, it's just, I have, I don't even want to go into a lot of it, but it was, it was just, I, I couldn't accept myself. And then in marriage, it didn't get any better. Uh, compulsive masturbation, uh, use of pornography. Uh, my first sexual experience with another human being was with another man. Uh, I was 17 and that got me. And I was engaged at the time uh, to a beautiful girl and I couldn't understand why that happened. Uh, and then I got into that marriage, and uh, we were both dysfunctional. That one lasted about three and a half years. And then I met my wife, Jerry, and we've been together uh, a long time, close to 30 years. Uh, and uh, this addiction just ran rampant. Anyway, to make a long story short, she gave me the phone number, and I called L.A., and my God, I got a hold of a guy down there who told me who he was. And that's the first time in my life I'd ever heard anybody talk about what was wrong with me. And it was just an instant uh, bond and trust. And uh, it was a short time later, uh, I got a contact from a gal in Portland, and she told me where there was a meeting, and I went to a meeting. And uh, my very first meeting, it was on my biological birthday. And uh, I thought, oh boy, oh, this will be easy to remember, you know. And... Uh, I went to that meeting, and there was only about four or five people there, but they went around the room and shared the nature of their addiction. And I, the, I don't know where I was in that. I think I was probably the last guy they called on or, or it came around to me, but I started to cry. And uh, they said, do you feel like talking? And I said, yeah, I'm crying because I'm so relieved I relate. I thought, if I didn't fit in here, I'm screwed, you know. <laughs> and uh, I just never heard people talk about that. And... Uh, but I couldn't tell them all of mine because I just told them what I thought they could accept, you know, and uh, all of my acting out. And uh, But I was ready, so I thought. And I went to meetings, and uh, about 25 days later, I lost my sobriety. And uh, I went back, and I stayed sober for five years. And... Uh, I was doing it my way. I had bottomed out on acting out, uh, but I hadn't bottomed out on lust. And I didn't know that. I didn't even know lust was a problem. I thought acting out was a problem. And I did. I read in the book, and it said we do things that uh, within our power. I quit going to adult bookstores. I quit going to uh, rest areas. Uh, I quit buying pornography. I quit masturbating. Uh, I quit doing anything that I could do to feel feed the illness. Uh, at the time, I was hauling produce uh, from Southern California to Portland, so I'd hit meetings in Riverside in L.A., I'd hit meetings up here. I was hitting a couple meetings a week, and uh, I was doing real good. I didn't have a sponsor. Well, I did kind of. This is where you know, I got a head like a baked potato, and uh, I'm going to do it 
the way I think it should be done. And uh, so I contacted a fellow here, and he mentioned the fact that when he sponsors people, he likes them to call them a certain amount of times a week and go to so many meetings. And I thought, well, that's all right. I just won't ask him to be my sponsor, but I'll just call him when I need him, you know. And that's what I did. And then being a truck driver, it was like I was really unaccountable. Because if I was in L.A., nobody here, they just figure I'm hauling produce, you know. Nobody knew. They didn't miss me if I wasn't at a meeting, you know. And boy, my disease like that. But the only problem with that, I was going broke financially, so I had to change jobs. And I started going to the East Coast. And uh, meetings got further and further apart. I didn't make phone calls. And uh, boy, the lust was just kicking my butt, you know, and uh, I tried smoking dope. I thought, well, I'll smoke, do- well, I, not just in SA, I smoked dope for 30 years before I got here, but I thought, I'll get so stoned that nobody would want to act out with me, you know, <laughs> and and that worked, uh, and the desire to act out with myself, it wasn't even an option, you know what I mean? It was not an option. And I need to say that the behavior that got me here was anonymous sex in rest areas in adult bookstores. And to make a long story short, five years later, I wound up in a rest area acting out. And I lost my sobriety. And uh that's a lie. Wait a minute. Before that, I had been lusting for five days straight. I couldn't stop it. And it was triggered by my wife going to a retreat in Vancouver. I got so insecure and so afraid that she was going to fall in love with one of you guys up here at this retreat, and I couldn't come, (laughs) that I just went nuts. And the only thing that killed that pain was the lust. And I was lusting. And I used to lust in that first five years, but I'd ask God to take it, and he'd take it, you know, and I'd get scared when I, oh, you better not do this, you know. This time he didn't take it. And about, it was several days later, uh, I was in Montreal going through a tunnel. I'll never forget it. And there was a car alongside of me, and I didn't pay attention. And then I just looked over like that, and there were some people acting out in that car. And wham, I had a orgasm right there without touching myself. And I thought, geez, this thing's got a mind of its own. It doesn't even need me anymore, you know. And <clears throat> I wrestled with, should I change my sobriety or not, you know. And uh I decided to change my sobriety. Uh and uh, the next thing my disease says, well, you might as well get your money's worth. You know, what you, geez, you got nothing to lose now. And uh, so that's what happened. And then I went out and then I did masturbate. And uh, I'd get a couple of months sobriety and I'd lose it. I'd get three months, four months and lose it. And uh, then it was a year later of acting out and couldn't get sober that year for any length of time. I wound up back in the rest area. Losing my sobriety, and the next day, uh, I read my book. Well, I've, yeah, I read my book. I 12-stepped the guy in the rest area for SA. And, uh, that was, I knew I was a goner then, boy. So, uh, so I, uh, I read my book the next day and I felt good. And I called Harry. I said, Harry, I'm reading the book and I feel good. He said, it doesn't count. You just lost your sobriety, and that's normal to feel good, you know. You'd never want to do it again and all that. But here's uh, here's the turning point for me, is for the first time in my life, I wanted to work a program. 
I didn't the first five years. I didn't want to do it. You know, my wife came home from Vancouver and she knew I was battling lust and she said, boy, there was a, a member up there who said he, he got so sick of lust, he finally just gets on his knees every morning and asks God to relieve him of his lust for that day. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to do, and this is during the period I couldn't get sober for that year. I thought, I don't want to do that. Well, that next morning after I lost my sobriety, I called Harry, and I did want to do it. And the thing I appreciate about Harry is Harry allowed me the dignity to bottom out for myself. He never told me what to do. He just loved me through all those slips. You know what I mean? He was there for me. Uh, that's all I can say. He did not run anything down my throat. I think he knew that he couldn't, you know. Uh, if he told me to do something, I'd probably just do the opposite. That's just the way I am. But I had a strong desire then, and so he told me what he did, you know. He made a list of things to do every day. So I made a list of things that I would do every day. And those things were I would get on my knees every morning and ask God to keep me sober that day. And I would thank him for yesterday. Uh, I would read some of my white book, or I have uh, Answers of the Heart. And I would read a page out of that and some of my white book every day. I would say the seventh step prayer every day. I'd say the third step prayer every day. I would call Harry. And one of my prayers was, God, give me the desire to work this program S.A.'s way and Harry's way. Uh, because I want to be like Harry. You know, that's what I wanted. And uh boy, it was about three days later, I called Harry. I said, God, Harry, anybody could stay sober doing it this way. You know, <laughs> But to me, it was like it almost took the fun out of it, you know? It was, uh, and Harry's answer to me was, some can't, you know? And, uh, then my next question the next day, I said, well, Harry, how long do I have to keep calling you like this, you know? And, uh, he said, don't stop now. He said, it's still working, you know? And I thought I was home free, you know? And, uh, I don't know, when it happened, but it happened four times uh, in the last year, lust came up and kicked my butt. And it hit me stronger than it ever did when I lost my sobriety. But I put a cellular phone on my truck, and right, right when the lust was just at its strongest, I called Harry. I didn't want to, but it said to do that, so I did it. And uh, it stopped. You know, it might come back 15 minutes later. I remember one time, it's 40-some, well, I live 100 miles, 200 miles south of here, but it, it hit south. I was just trying to get home. I had about 80 miles to go, and I remember I called Harry three times, you know, in that 80 miles. But I made it. Uh, and then it happened again. And then the last time I had a lust attack, I was about eight months sober. And... uh Lust was kicking my butt, and I said, God, I don't want to lust, you know. And, but when I'd pray to God, it wouldn't go away, you know what I mean? It was just, how long can you pray, you know? It was it was like that, and I, and I remember thinking, is this how it's going to be? Is this what everybody's doing? Because this sucks, you know? And it was like, uh, I was praying to God, and then I thought, no, that's BS, man. It's not that I don't want to lust. I want to lust so hard that I'll have another orgasm, but I won't have to change my sobriety date. And when I told him that, it quit, you know. 
And I think what I did is I got honest with him. You know, I was telling him what I really wanted to do. I wanted to act out one more time and not take responsibility for it, you know. And uh, the lust quit. And uh, I went to a meeting the next night in Portland. And after that meeting, I, w- I went uh, eight and was going go to go to bed in my truck. And the lust hit real bad. And I laid down and went to bed. And wham, I had an ejaculation. And that messed me up because I thought, now what do I do? Change my sobriety again and all this stuff. And a couple weeks later, I was up in New York. And I was all messed up over that. And I called Harry and told him. And he said, Mike, what's the matter? Is your head telling you that you're not working the perfect program? And I said, yeah. He said, well, the next time that thought comes, just ask God to take it. And I went out to my truck, and, and I was sitting in my truck, and I, I just started to say, I'm not perfect. And I started to cry. And uh, I've been trying to cry for 50 years, you know. So I thought, I'll say that again. So I said it again, and, <laughs> and the tears just started to come. And then I said, by whose standards? And it was by my own standards. I'm not perfect by my standards. And uh, my fear was that if I had to change my sobriety date, I knew that my disease would make me go out and get my money's worth again, you know. And I didn't want to do that. And the next thing I said is, I said, God, I never, and I, I hadn't been lusting this trip. I'd been out for a week and hadn't had any lust, but it just was God's time. And I said, God, I never, ever want to do the things I have to do to satisfy this craving. I never want to go back out there. And then I said, God, don't ever make me go back out there. And God, I got a warm feeling right here, right in my chest. And uh, I knew what happened. All of a sudden, it just, it was gone. And and that was, I bottomed out on lust, you know. Uh, I haven't had a lust attack since. I've had, it's all out there ready to come in, but I don't want to touch it. It's finally uh, God has intervened in my program. I've been in SA, uh, I think it's eight, it feels like eight, maybe it's seven, since 1987. But it's just been in, since April 13th that uh, my higher power came in. And the main principle that I'm aware of now is that I'm powerless. I was powerless all that time and didn't know it. And if I'm powerless, there's no need to come to a meeting and feel like shit because I couldn't stay sober. You know, I'm powerless. I'm powerless even to get a desire to work a program. It's got to come from God, you know. And the only reason I got that desire is the pain of acting out. Uh, I've, I've heard, I buy a lot of tapes, uh, essay tapes. I hear a lot of talk about uh, maybe there's something wrong with a program because guys can't stay sober. When I heard that, I thought, wow, they're talking about me. I'm one of those guys. I'm ruining the reputation of SA. I'm just on my own timetable, you know. I'm on God's timetable. Uh, then I thought, well, what's the use of working all these steps if God hasn't stepped in your life yet? You're wasting your time. And the amazing thing about working a program, I started reading a book. <laughs> and then, because uh, I don't like to read, but now I have to read it every day, you know. And uh, I want to read it every day. I got to be honest, I didn't get on my knees this morning. This is the morning I should have, too. I didn't get on my knees this morning. I didn't read my book, and I haven't called Harry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm getting better, you know. But it's like, uh, there's nothing wrong with this program. The book is divine. Every time I slipped, I found myself in the book. Now that I'm reading the book, I realize, and I read this the other day, and it made so much sense to me, I was preparing myself 
to have a spiritual awakening this last year by working a program. You know what I mean? It's like uh, I came from a life to where there was no God. Uh, I was taught that if I put my head down and hit that wall hard enough, eventually I'll go through it. Uh, that's not powerlessness. You know, that's not acceptance. And uh, it's just it's taken me a long time because this is totally different from the way I was raised, you know. I wasn't raised to uh, let go and let God. Uh, I wasn't raised to do the things I'm doing today, you know. I don't know how long I've been talking here. hope it's long enough. But uh, <clears throat> I had a... I'm going to say one more thing. I had a son come up to my house the other night, and he was uh, drunk and drugged out. And uh, he came up to me, and uh, he didn't come in the house. And I went out in the yard, and I said, how you doing? He said, I came to kick your butt. And, uh, God, a year ago, I'd have said, well, take your best shot, punk, you know. And this time I hugged him. And I said, let's talk about it. You know, I said, why would you want to kick my butt? He said, I don't know. I thought it might make me feel better. <laughs> but we talked. And we talked about uh, his sexual acting out when he was four years old. And it's haunting him. And I told him who I was for the first time, and we hugged. And he's been clean ever since that night, you know. And we've had some good talks since. And it's like, I feel real bad, because uh, when he was 12 years old, I hopped in a truck and took off. I abandoned him. And I wasn't there for any of my kids during all their growing up years. My oldest kid's like 32, and my youngest is 24. And I was either acting out sexually or obsessed with her mother's drinking or on drugs myself. So I wasn't there for them. But the beautiful thing is I'm there for them now. You know, and, and with, with my higher power coming in and opening up my heart, it's like, uh, I don't have all the hate left. I had a lot of anger. You know what I mean? I hated AA members, you know, and, uh, I did a fourth step on that and turned it over to God every morning and I went back to an AA meeting my wife and I didn't even get in the door and I was pissed off, you know. And I thought, this ain't working. But when my higher power came in and did this to me, I love them all. And I just, if it wasn't for them, I realized I wouldn't have a program. You know, it's just all that hate went out. And thank God that left before my son came up to the house the other night, you know. And it's just, uh, there's hope. Uh, I don't know, I just feel... uh principles of the program it's like i'm going to learn them through hard knocks for me it's not what i'm reading in a book really it's i have to learn it by experience and i'm learning it and i was able to share it with my son the other night and instead of pushing him away i I brought him into my life you know and i just can't tell you how that feels uh i have faith he'll make it you know because if i can make it he can make it and uh, with that i'm going to shut up thanks a lot like to thank you for listening to this episode of the daily reprieve the best source for experience strength and hope for sa members 
please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.